1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with licensed professional counselor Brandi Smith about real love versus fake love, infidelity, and narcissistic abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today on our show, we have Brandy Smith, and Brandy Smith is a licensed professional counselor, licensed chemical dependency counselor with a focus on trauma. And one of her specialties is infidelity as well. She is a therapist with a non-judgmental environment where clients feel validated, acknowledged, and respected, which as many of you know, is not an easy thing to find in a therapist this, these days. Uh, she's in Texas. She's in Austin. She's online. Her website is fortifycounselingservices.com. And she is statewide in Texas. Brandy Smith, thank you for being on our show today.
0: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
1: So a big thing we'll be discussing today is real intimacy versus fake intimacy amongst many things. And a big thing in domestic violence and abuse is uh, love bombing. So we're trying to decipher for a lot of people what is real and, and what is fake. So at first, can you define what is love bombing for us?
0: Sure. Love bombing is, is that that kind of just showering a person um, with, with um, some really dramatic and over-the-top kind of attention and affection. And not just sort of that honeymoon period, but But this very, you know, sort of powerful um, combination of the things that someone would do or say um, to just just be really compelling and that that kind of attention that we all really want, uh, just the authentic kind and not not love bombing.
1: So when it comes to real versus fake, how does someone know what is real?
0: You know, I, I think... Um, I think it's really important, A, that we trust our gut. I think there's a lot of a loss of trusting our, our gut in terms of narcissistic abuse. That's kind of one of the tools is to throw us off, you know, recognizing who we are. So I, I sort of see in my practice, you know, the I think the merging of empathy and vulnerability is a great way to, to define intimacy. Um, and so, you know, I think if, if someone's sympathetic, you know, we've we been, Feel the same as another person, understand, you know, personal distress that they might be experiencing and, and having compassion. Um, so there's that actual part of that feeling. Then there's also the cognitive aspect, the ability to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, vulnerability, when we, when we tie that in with empathy, that is this, this risk of allowing ourselves to be hurt. Uh, and so I think there's, there's a few ways that you can look at that, you know, in a relationship. Um, is the other party that you're with, are they equally invested, right, in terms of their resources? Um, are they giving as much as um, they're asking for? Um, I think another thing, you know, we can really consider is, um, are both parties kind of engaging in, in the same level of risk? Is this, are the same things on the line for your partner as you were putting on the line? Are things reciprocal? Like, is there an imbalance Really, in the amount of give and take between partners, so am I um, if if I'm being asked to give a whole lot of my time, um, is that something that that my partner is willing to invest to um, if if there are you know certain parameters of a relationship about how much we talk or um, needs being met uh, or, or is there an equal investment? If that's not the case, there's probably some there may be some ulterior motive.
1: So when it comes to this really it has to do with being even. Anything that is stretched uh too far on either direction is the wrong way to go about things. We're looking for a, an equilibrium per se and that, that line is not crossed on either end.
0: Right. I think if if you know if I am if I'm extremely if um, so I'm supportive, and my I can depend on my partner to be supportive, um, I would expect that in times when I need to be supported, I'm also getting that. I mean, I think the whole thing is about healthy relationships. Really, is is a lot of balance. If if something is um, feels overwhelming and um, sort of, I think a, a challenge to. trust i think that they're going to give the same thing that i'm going to give i think that's a that's um that's a, a cause for concern
1: and going into these relationships and we hear it a lot on our survivor story podcast episodes that There's this preconceived notions of what a relationship is and what a marriage is supposed to be. And people always have in their mind something like, we must fight for relationships. And so at a certain point, there's this preconceived notion of what a relationship is supposed to be. So people stick it out and they don't realize that this is not real love that they're receiving. And I guess they make excuses in a certain way for the behavior that is going on because of these preconceived notions uh, uh, that are that are in their head to, be, to to begin with these belief systems that sometimes are innocent uh, and they end up um, you know causing a lot of problems so controlling behavior I guess sometimes can be seen as love, so is there a way for people to decipher this
0: you know i think there are so many influences about about what what you were asking about in terms of what what is okay am i asking too much um, is this reasonable should i just tolerate it because i think when when narcissism is involved um, you know the the part of the biggest influence is is making um, the person the the survivor um, feel responsible for for all those things that are happening and so if i 'm supposed to be um, patient or allow somebody their privacy or um, you know that this is the way things are supposed to be, any of the things that i 've learned that might not be so healthy either my experience or from cult from the culture says um, that I think that sort of is highlighted as um, and, and then it kind of resonates with us. Oh, they're saying this thing that I have heard and know of before. So I must be overreacting um, because it resonates with something that, that might have sounded true in the past. And so I think that's an easy tool um, for a person in a toxic relationship to use. Um, and, and, you know, it really does, I think that shifts the focus off of what your partner is supposed to be doing in, in terms of their heavy lifting um, versus what you're supposed to be doing. So the focus is all always on a need for um, one person to, to be better, do better, change. I, I think that's just, again, out of balance.
1: So for most of these situations, real intimacy versus fake intimacy, it really comes down to watching for balance as being the predominant red flag.
0: I think so. I mean, if if um you know, if uh, if somebody is attempting to to manage the way we think versus promoting our our health and um I, yeah, I think that that's I think that's an easy thing to see um in terms of knowing that's that's not in our best interest. We would always want our partner to be acting in a way that that supports our best interests. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: So within our podcast, we hear a lot of stories that have to do with infidelity. And specifically with people who are narcissistic abusers you know cuz our podcast doesn't always have to do with narcissistic uh, uh, abuse it has to do with all different types of abuse with people with different issues but with specifically with that we hear a lot to do with infidelity and so why within narcissistic abuse is infidelity uh, such a big common thread
0: well you know i mean i think if if we Break that down; it really sets the pattern. You know, it it really just infidelity in terms of of narcissistic abuse. It kind of just extends that pattern of behavior um, that we know exists with with narcissism. And so, um, I think the only difference is we've we've now added other people to the mix. Um, you know, it it it's abusive behavior that previously existed within the confines of the relationship, but now it exists outside the relationship. Um, and so you know i think it, it all those those common threads things to be looking for is that with any abusive situation um but particularly with narcissism is that you know the, the insatiable need for validation um the sense of entitlement you know that that even and and i think when infidelity is concerned even when that means jeopardizing a partner's health um that lack of in, uh, empathy so you know in terms of infidelity there is there is this lack of compassion um, about the inevitable consequences um, that will come when, and they almost always are when affairs are, are discovered. Um, and, you know, really, I think it's important to note, too, we're, we're not just even talking about the, the narcissist partner at this point, although that's really important, but also the affair partner. Uh, and they may not be the most sympathetic figure in, in the whole story, I guess, um, but they're still a person, and they're, they're sort of drawn into this, this unhealthy web. Um, and then... I, you know, that, that feeling uh, that of narcissism that's common to narcissists feeling special and that they deserve uh, special treatment. So you know, in the context of narcissistic abuse, it's really just an extension of all of these characteristics, all these traits that we find, patterns of behavior to add an additional person into the mix.
1: So, are there ways for people to decipher or be able or, or kind of signs for people to look a little bit deeper that maybe infidelity might be going on within the relationship?
0: Sure. Again, I mean, I would always trust people. I mean, I would encu- always encourage people. Excuse me to trust their gut, right? Which is a hard thing to do, um, when you're when someone's you know methodically trying to throw you off your sense of identity and um, so, so, but, but always rely on that. Um, I think really in terms of infidelity, the first thing to do, which I think a lot of couples overlook or partners overlook is, is, you know, define it. Have I been clear with my partner about what constitutes infidelity? And I think a lot of people just assume that they know, but what I find in my office is that they don't. If you ask somebody, you know, what would it mean? Uh, if for you to be for me to be unfaithful, what do you consider infidelity? Uh, and then you, you you share your belief about that? I think people sometimes struggle to do that. So first of all, if you really need to get on the same page about that, um, once we i think once a couple defines it, once we get to to a shared understanding of that, you know there are some some pretty reliable indicators. Um, that somebody, you know, might be up to no good. I think um, an important, before I get into that, though, I think it's important to keep in mind that someone who's being unfaithful um, may exhibit none of these signs uh, and and be involved in an affair. And somebody who, who displays all of them um, may not be in an affair. So I think it's important to just, you know, ask questions and communicate. So um, I think there's... Um, when there's like um, a special attention, I think to the issue of privacy, that's when, if this is all of a sudden a new sort of um, attention to, well, I have a right to privacy, um, keeping things um, secure that weren't secure, passcodes, those kinds of things. Um, that was, that's that's a warning sign of, of somebody who might be trying to, to hide something. I think, um, emotional distance is a good indicator, withdrawing uh, from the relationship in general for that feeling of coldness. Um, a lot of times people who are being unfaithful, they may you may notice them becoming really critical isn't to the point of being cruel, um, just angry and generally dissatisfied uh, with, with the person that they're with. Um, the issue of control comes up a lot. Uh, and and interestingly, what I find is that the person who's doing these things that are sort of outside the relationship is constantly accusing the other party of doing that. And I think it sort of a, throws up a um, defense shield a little bit about that to hide behind. Um, if, if you notice your partner is away a lot, um, and they might not have been before, working late, working more often, traveling, needing to be out of town... That's something and and all of these I think are important if they're a shift in, in what was normal, um, you know that that old old one about someone paying more attention to their physical appearance that's really true, and um, there is a, a more heightened sense of awareness of, of what one looks like and then, um, it's being inappropriately defensive I think as as kind of underlies all of that we have to be able to speak freely to a partner ask questions um, without someone feeling accused or defensive.
1: So uh, within the therapy realm, people use different modalities. So for you, because you deal with infidelity and narcissistic abuse a lot, uh, what are the modalities that you use or you work with or what do you think is best?
0: I think you gotta be very flexible in terms of, of taking in the whole story of, of a person. I mean, I think the the what I've learned about therapy is that there are some, you know, really consistent patterns about people who have experienced trauma. There's patterns with people who have um, survived a narcissistic relationship. Um so but but we do want to sort of um take a little of this, take a little of that. And I think depending on the evolution of of the person, their recovery, um, I think we do sort of take a little bit from everything. Um, You know, there's so many things to consider about how a person comes to be where they are at the moment in time that they present themselves for therapy. And so there's all kinds of um, relationship history, you know people who grew up in dysfunctional homes and experienced abuse, emotional, physical, sexual, any kind of abuse growing up, there's this predisposition to not understanding a healthy relationship. And so sometimes we think about the way people are thinking um, and sort of focus on testing those ideas. Um, you know sometimes people just need a, a, an empathetic ear, a place to just talk. Uh, it's really, it's really wonderful, particularly with trauma survivors and narcissist um, survivors. To to watch, I, I'm very confident that when someone walks in my office, they absolutely have the way back to feeling healthy already there. We just sort of sit and look at the ways to to feel safe to bring those out and act on those things: boundaries, um, you know, assertive communication. Um, self-esteem all of those things there's there's a whole bunch of different ways that people need to have that reinforced for them Um, and so you know trauma survivors the growth and the healing um, when people get the outcome they want is, is I mean it's just breathtaking to watch that process happen
1: so are boundaries one of the biggest things you work on in these situations
0: absolutely uh yeah and I think that kind of circles back to to what we were talking about a little bit before is that uh, you know I find a lot of people feel like they're asking too much um and and you know here's here's what I know you can ask for whatever you want um and every person has the right to to say yes or no that works for me or it doesn't work for me um and so now you know we're, we're we're talking about people who are are Relatively healthy functioning folks, maybe not, not someone who's got a diagnosed mental illness and is in, in sort of active periods of that. But, but in terms of if I say, you know, it's important to me that we have financial goals that we focus on. Um, if someone says that, you know, you're, you're really overreacting, you're this or you're that. And, um, it's okay to say, you know, I actually, uh, it's important to me and I'm going to sort of stand my ground about that. Uh but that's okay, right? We don't have to agree. And if it becomes, you know, I think um, to a point of of importance where it would change the dynamic of the relationship, that's okay too. Um and so maybe maybe we're not compatible. I think the things that people forget is we don't have to be upset or hurt by that, not being compatible with a person. Um we can just sort of be neutral about it and say, you know what, this isn't healthy for me. Um, so we either need to make these changes, um, or or I may need to you know consider an alternative.
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So now we have some questions from our audience. And the first question is, The sex with my narcissist was very intense and the best I ever had. So when he began to cheat on me, it was hard to understand because our sex life was so good. Then eventually, sex started to dry up. What makes them so good in bed, and is this part of the way of their bonding? And is cheating a way to get this bond constantly, like an instant mental gratification? Or do they see sex as an obligation once the chase is over?
0: so that so that's a lot, and I think there's some fundamental answers really about um narcissist and sex right so interestingly the the all of the things that are kind of triggered those those things I mentioned before about um you know um the need for validation and affirmation and entitlement all of those things. Um, those those are not necessarily triggered in regard to sex or sexual situations, I think. And so um, so that may be a place if they are triggered, where a narcissist just sort of completely engages um, that sex and sexuality is another tool um, of control and you know sexual exploitation, sexual entitlement, those those kinds of of things um, come up. And so I think, when you have a, a really great sex life, that would track in terms of the pattern that we we see is that this is great, I feel very connected. But when we talk about a bond with uh, a narcissist, what we're really talking about is is more of a trauma bond, and so because we can feel most vulnerable in sex, I think that that um, is a really compelling part of of weaponry, I think, against a uh, person who you are trying to gain control over or, or to serve in the function of one partner versus the other. So I think, you know, that, that very beginning part of sex that, which, let's be honest, everybody knows that there's a honeymoon period about sex. Sex becomes, um, less spontaneous, less, um, sort of exciting and as, as a relationship goes on. But, but the bond, I think, that, that is created in a narcissistic relationship um, becomes one more of um, um, dysfunction uh, than actually growing, feeling closer to one another.
1: All right. Next question. And that is, I'm out of my relationship and it's hard to trust again, especially when it comes to cheating. I'm always suspect of what my new boyfriend is up to is he really out with his friends? I feel like I'm becoming my jealous ex and it's painful to think about. Any tips about
0: trusting again? You know, I think this is really hard because it's, you know, the most important directive that our brain has for us is to keep us safe, right? It's this, this idea that, and that's emotionally safe, physically safe. And so when that gets triggered and we're fearful that we're going to get hurt, it's very hard. To sort of open ourselves up to that again, right? Which is, you know, kind of that idea of fake intimacy versus real intimacy. If I'm protecting myself, um, I can't, I can't really completely give myself over to somebody. But when I do, uh, if I have experience that says they might hurt me, I'm a little more reluctant to do that. So, you know, what? But man, this is this common? Uh, it's it just, it happens. I see it a lot, and and I think. Setting expectations in a relationship and engaging in really clear, assertive communication early and often—that's really key. I don't think that um, I don't think it's helpful when I, I sort of watch this pattern of communication where people don't really say what they mean um, because either they don't want to start a fight or they don't want um, to hurt somebody's feelings. There's a way uh, to express your needs. I think with kindness and compassion. Um, and get those needs met and also, you know, listen to your partner's needs. And so, so I think, um, the most important tip I have for trusting again really is just deciding that you're going to do that. Um, you know, feeling jealous, uh, it's just this really unpleasant combination, um, of fear and insecurity. We, we have this way of convincing ourselves that everything is on the line. Um, and, and it's just not true. It, it, you know this relationship is not the thing that is going to make us happy and healthy. Um, in fact, I don't think a relationship can be happy and healthy um, until we are individually um, comfortable and stable and having a fulfilling life you know on our own. I think you know the the idea of forgiveness comes up. Uh, for sure, when we 're talking about trusting again, and that may be the person you 're with, and that may be a person from a long time ago um, but but forgiveness is really a big a big part of that
1: when I listen to so many people 's stories, one of the things this question reminds me of uh, for people that survive abuse, uh, eventually they start acting or feeling like their abuser. And they start to question themselves. They start to question that maybe they are the abuser themselves. So I'm sure this has to bubble up in your uh, practice as well, that you see a lot of this.
0: Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's nothing more difficult than, than trying to sort of regain this sense of, am I okay? Am I, are they right? Am I asking too much? Um, you know, because I, I think one of the indicators, you know, that, that I spoke about is, is someone who is projecting those things they're doing onto you. It's very disconcerting to have a belief and then sort of have that kind of undermined by whether someone's, you know, mocking or sort of degrading uh, your needs or concerns. Um, and then to actually now you're on your heels trying to because you're being accused of those exact behaviors. It's, I mean, it is just, it's very um, toxic and that those feelings of self-doubt that come up, those are hard to shake because in general, even when we're not experiencing a relationship like that, in healthy relationships and in life, we, we just have self-doubt. I think that's something that narcissists um, hone in on and use that to their advantage to say, you know, you're not as, you're not as okay as you think you are. You've, should be more patient. You should trust me. You should, 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 should um, behave this way. And if there's some, you know, sort of seed of truth to that, which we all experience some level of self-doubt, it's just really exploited and exacerbated in terms of relating to this other person now.
1: Well, that's a big thing that I hear a lot. And it's within those lies that they're being told. There's a speck of truth within that lie that makes an abuse survivor question everything. So even though they know that it is a lie, there's just one speck of truth in there that just keeps them holding on and and focusing on that as it is as it if is a truth about themselves.
0: And I think that's you know, that's why that works and and you know i think that the i mean that sort of abusive behavior works because i think you know we're we're all sort of afraid that we're being you know too suspicious or too judgmental or asking too much and and so when someone can kind of find that weakness or worry in us and then sort of turn it around and use it against us instead of sort of approaching that with care and concern um, I, I think that that's a powerful weapon because um, there, it resonates in us as, oh, I, I really do need to be watching out for that. And look, they, they just figured that out. They're right. Uh, and that's, that's worrisome. It, it just sort of causes us to question things that we believe we know. And once we start doing that, you know, it's a real slippery slope.
1: So thank you, Brandy Smith, for being here with us today and sharing your knowledge and your expertise. And before we leave, um, do you have anything else you want to share with our audience?
0: No, I, I just, um, I'm I'm just really grateful to do this work. I'm grateful to be able to talk about it. I'm glad that people are talking about it more um, in, in general mental health, but also um abuse and surviving abuse and so I'm glad I really appreciate what you're doing and the courage of the people who tell you their story and all that's shared um I think it really helps to decrease the stigma around you know and the more educated we are about this the easier it is to see the easier it is to protect ourselves from and so I'm grateful um you know for for you and your audience doing what you guys are doing I I think um I think it's important to stay centered and, and in terms of just general kind of wellness, trust, trust your instinct. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. Um, and so trust yourself in that, in that way. Um, you know, have a support network of people who you trust and who you can talk to. Um, and, and, you know, as a therapist, I think that's sort of my bottom line. Talk, talk to somebody.
1: Well, Brandy, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. And at the top of the page, there is a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, you will get all these instructions, read all of the instructions, and then send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Or please do go inside that guest form, fill it out there, and press the submit button. We are looking for stories all the time. So please do send in your stories. Even if you think it's not that big, just send it in to us. You know, sometimes these small, subtle stories are really important for people to hear. So please send us your stories. And also at NarcissistApocalypse.com. We have our very own safe social network, and at the top of the page, there's a button that says – sorry, not guest form. It's about to say guest form, but it says support group. You click on the support group button, and when you do that, it takes us to this network area. You join, and when you join, there are Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night, every other Thursday afternoon, And we have our very own forum boards there. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have episodes that are ad-free. And if you just really want to support our show, please do join our support group. It helps us out a lot. So do that at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And also, if you need extra support, please do go to our friends at DomesticShelters.org. They have articles and resources on their website that can help you make sense of what you're going through. Uh, you can find uh, shelters there as well. If you want to donate to shelters, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. But please use them as a resource. They're our friends. They're very good at what they do. A big hi to Ashley. And that's it for today. So for myself and Brandy Smith... We hope you have a good night.